Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. everyone and welcome to The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. We are like Courtney Laws battling on till the end of the season. We've got one more Ruck for you after the longest season in living memory. And I'm joined today by Stuart Barnes. How are you, Stuart? Very well, Will. It was uh, a great Saturday uh, and there's no doubt at all. Um, forget the World Cup for a couple of weeks and everyone in Ireland wallow in what was a fantastic and historic sporting win yeah absolutely so I'm jetted back from Australia our, our colleague Alex Lowe's currently flying home having filed his last report from Sydney and you can't see me listeners but I'm wearing a green shirt because we're honouring the Irish after their amazing series win in New Zealand hell of a weekend wasn't it I mean the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere take two series each balance of power we'll get into that Barnsley but the world game seems I don't know fit and firing at the moment doesn't it yeah, you know, yet we hear this thing about we, for, for the, the sake of the sport, we have to have uh, a World League every two years between World Cups and Lions Tours, blah, blah, blah. And I just think uh, the last three weeks has been a reminder when you don't try and just um, fly all over hemispheres, be it north or south, and you settle in one country and you set yourself down for a three-match series, you get... You get animosity, you get competitive spirit, you get great rivalry, you get fans there. Test rugby, when it's a three-match series, is every bit as good as test cricket when it's played well. Mm. And I think uh, that was an interesting reminder for those who wish to change everything. Yeah, absolutely. There's loads more discussions on that coming over the summer, I think, and November's probably going to be a key month. So coming up on this week's episode, we're going to get into all of the summer tour deciders, which ended off the July series especially Ireland's historic win over New Zealand. Incredible, that. Plus, England defeating Australia, Wales losing to South Africa, and Scotland's last-minute agonising defeat to Argentina. And we'll also try and find some time to give Chile the credit they deserve, having qualified for the World Cup for the first time in their history. But first, it's all about the Irish, a historic victory against New Zealand, and former hooker from the Irish, Bernard Jackman, joins us after this. Right, so Bernard's with us now. And Bernard, we've been seeing lots of videos of the Irish celebrations. Peter Romani in the street, Bundiaki nicking some chicken, champagne on the way home. Thoroughly deserved for the Irish. How's your head now on a Monday? Are you sanguine? Are you ready to analyse the Irish win in New Zealand? Yeah, look, it was an unbelievable tour for us. It started really badly. Um, obviously getting hammered by the Maori and then hammered in the first test. And uh, a lot of us pundits were saying oh it's a disaster and we didn't bring enough players and this is going to ruin our chances but credit to the squad and Andy Farland's coaching staff they they found a, a reason to believe they could beat the All Blacks in, in the second test our, our younger team beat the Maori and then obviously we won a series for the first time so 
Um, and we're up to number one in the world on the official rankings, but I think sometimes they can be a little bit misleading. But certainly we're in a we're in a good place and um, a lot to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you think were the key areas? I mean, it it feels like they've totally smashed the aura, Ireland. I mean, I think that was yeah. Andy Farrell's seventh win against uh, the All Blacks in his various guises, which is more than any well as many as Bob Dwyer, who managed seven himself with the Australians in the eighties and nineties. He's been extraordinary, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been incredible. And and to be honest, um, I was a little bit sceptical that first year. Um, and I remember speaking to Johnny Sexton. So, you know, Mike Cat came in. They talked about playing what you see. Um, and Farrell was talking about, you know, they got to create a culture and identity. And it wasn't really evident on the, on the field, to be honest. We were actually quite lost in terms of how we were trying to play. Um, and I remember saying to Johnny Sexton, who I'm lucky enough to be good friends with, he said to me, you're totally wrong. Uh, these coaches are uh, are building something. We just need to be patient. And it was probably last summer against poor opposition USA and Japan. We started to see glimpses of it. Then we beat the All Blacks in November. And then during the Six Nations, you know, we lost to France, but we 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 troubled them. The England game, we got a little bit lost against 14 men, so it was hard to know uh, how good that was. But yet, a lot of our attacking play was was better. And against New Zealand, you know, we we ripped them apart. Now, look, there's, there's elements of, of their game that are in a very bad place. But from an Irish point of view, defensively, when we need to defend for the last 10 minutes and keep them out, you know, we, we did a great job. Our set piece, we scored two mall tries. Our scrum got better. Um, and I think our attacking game is a joy to watch, to be honest. The detail around them, some Stuart, Stuart, um, I'd love to know what you think about it. But for us as, as pundits, the Joe Schmidt era, was very uh, hard to watch, to be honest. It was very confrontational, a lot of box kicking, um, a lot of territory, you know, kick your points, kick to the corner. But now it's it's just the the, the skills that we're showing um, and running at space. And it's, uh, it, it, well, I'm certainly enjoying it. Bernard, I, I thought that in the early days of Schmidt, uh, he produced some of the greatest European teams ever, Uh that Leinster team were wonderful and they did run out of space and they did offload brilliantly. And I felt that the problem was, as his uh, reign went on and on, he became too central and took too much of a grip. And Irish players, instead of playing into space, stopped taking any risk. And we ended up with that World Cup where Ireland, I don't think they offloaded a, a ball once. And the end against Japan was horribly inevitable. Um, and I think you're right, because Farrell was involved, you know, Smith's very powerful man, you know, uh, Joe. And I think it took Andy Farrell a while for his beliefs to come through and, and Mike Katz. But what we started to see a year ago was Ireland still, still playing with a lot of continuity, but with a bit more pace. And with that pace... I think it, it, it gives you an opportunity to just stretch defences and, and create rooms in which to, to, to run. And, and the way that Keenan and Aki and Henshaw were taking late balls into spaces against a New Zealand defence that is very strong was impressive. And I'd just like to bounce one thing back to you and say, from where I've been sitting, the other side of the Irish Sea, Jamison Gibson Park's introduction uh, has been seminal because... He has supplied the pace to enable Sexton to play flatter for Ireland to attack. And, and Conor Murray comes on and does that reverse uh, finisher's job in the sense yeah. he closes the game down. 
but but I think with, with, without what was basically a, a second-rate New Zealand scrum half, Ireland would look a very different team at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. So I would say there was three Kiwi-born players who played for us at the weekend, James Lowe and Gibson Park. I don't think anyone in New Zealand four years ago would have thought they would become All Blacks. They were... Uh, Gibson Park was a sub um, in Super Rugby. Bundy Aki, in fairness, was part of that chief team that won um, a Super Rugby. He may have been an all-back if he had a stage, but realistically, it was three, you know, uh, very good New Zealand players, but not superstars, who've come to Ireland and made a difference. And I think that's down to the coaching that they're getting, you know, uh, across the board. Um, But also the, the game plan, the framework. I agree with you totally. Gibson Park now looks like one of the best nines in the world. But if you actually... If you actually looked at the nuts and bolts of his game, you know, he doesn't have Aaron Smith's pass. He doesn't have DuPont's, you know, X factor. He's not Conor Murray's goal or box kicking, but it's speed, it's tempo. And um, Ireland O'Connell is now looking after the breakdown. Our rook ball is better. And you know yourself, if you're not running at, uh, if you're running at soft shoulders, of course your rook ball is going to be better. So it's, mm-hmm. it's everything together. It's the clean out, it's the carry. But also I think, you know, Farrell has replaced players. Like Cesar Stander was a great uh, soldier for Ireland, but he never passed, right? Caelan Doris or Jack Conan are better footballers. You know, they they run, they've got footwork, they they offload, they pass in contact. Gibson Park, James Lowe has come in and, you know, his left foot has been really useful, but also he's an unorthodox type of player. Mac Hansen, you know, steps up as first receiver. So I remember listening to a really interesting podcast with George Ford during lockdown and he spoke about you know, how England prepped for teams defensively. And he said, look, we don't spend a huge amount of time watching footage, but a key area for us is their balance of how often they play off nine, 10, or a second playmaker. And he said, when, for example, when you play Ireland, it's Johnny Sexton. So wherever Johnny is, follow him. And I, I said to the Johnny, and Johnny listened to it, he said, that's how he felt playing against England because effectively wherever he was, he had, you know, seven or eight English players saying, I've got Sexton, I've got Sexton. Whereas now... There's more balance to our play. We play the blind side more. Keenan steps up as a first receiver. Johnny plays one out. Um, so there has been a total evolution. But just going back to Joe Schmidt, Joe Schmidt could coach a team anyway. He's a phenomenal coach. And I agree with you. He was able to coach a brilliant attacking team. For whatever reason, he felt at international level that was too risky. And he became very closed off. Um, and look at the box. Razi Rasmus would tell you, the way to play is the is the way they play, um, but I think it's nice to see teams having a go and and trying to play a different way. Bernard, so I hate to do this because we've spent our whole season talking about it doesn't matter about the World Cup yet. Let's win now, and <laughs> a season where you've beaten the All Blacks away from home is a tonic enough for Irish fans. But where do we sit on this whole hoodoo, the World Cup thing? It's eighteen months. You've got to keep it. The, I don't know the chariot rumbling on, haven't you? So. How do you kind of build on beating the All Blacks and and be the team that everyone's going to fear and challenge France and them and South Africa when it comes to France 23 yeah. next September? Yeah, well, the big worry for us is, and, and this is still a doubt, because the All Blacks set piece isn't the, the, uh, the weapon that it has been in the past. So for us, if you look back at how we got beaten by, um, how we struggled against England over the last couple of years is when, you know, you put a big pack in front of us, you put a good kicking game in front of us and you strangle us. And, um, and I, I suppose mean, France did that to us in Paris. Did that to, sorry, I was going to say, I suppose La Rochelle did that to Leinster a little yeah, bit. in the 100%. Champions and, Cup and, final. and the Bulls did it to us in the, to Leinster in the, in the URC semi-final. So that's still the worry. 
Um, that's still a worry. We're still a little bit worried about our depth behind, particularly a prop behind Furlong and Porter. Uh, Keen Healy is, has been a phenomenal player, but you know his best days are behind him. We don't have a, a, a real scrummage and tight head. So I think South Africa in November and, and France and England, France and England the Six Nations, will give us a better idea about have we got the tools to do well in the World Cup. We're also in the, in the in our side of the draw, as you well know. You know, you got New Zealand, France, and Africa, and Ireland. So uh, <laughs> we could be brilliant and still not get past the quarterfinal. Yeah, absolutely. And the last thought, I mean, Andy Farrell, I think you mentioned in your piece, most popular Englishman in Ireland since Jack Charlton. Is that about right? <laughs> yeah, well, look, it takes a lot to uh, to get to that level of status, but no, he is. And look, he's uh, he's a very good, easygoing. You know, person around, around the place. He's very well liked. And the players absolutely love him. They would die for him. Um, and I, I know his assistant coaches. They have autonomy to to basically implement uh, what they what they see. He's very much the top of the of the tree, and and um, he's done an incredible job. And uh, yeah, we're very lucky to have. Do you think he'll stay beyond twenty three? That's the big question coming okay, out. <laughs> the problem is now he's going to be uh, highly sought after. Um, yeah, I look at it, he seems to be very happy in Dublin. Uh, look, it all depends, I suppose, on on how how he's allowed to keep putting his own imprint on it. You know what I mean? Um, he, working for federations, like working for presidents in France or I'm sure CEOs in England, we don't sometimes we don't sometimes understand uh, how much freedom so you know coach has to do his thing. But it seems as if the RFU have given him back in a control, and he's certainly taken advantage of that. Yeah. Bernard, I think uh, Will was, if I could translate into English rugby ease, what Will was saying is, do you think Ireland will be able to keep him from England in 2023 after the World Cup? Yeah, well, look at, um, obviously, I'm sure money-wise, look, we, apparently, if you, 20 years ago or 15 years ago, you would have said, you know, we can't compete with the with the RFU or, or the FFR, etc. But genuinely now, the RFU, put a lot of money into rugby and um, I, I would say it won't be a, a financial issue. It'll be whether he would want to go back and he obviously has a, a scar from 2015, his involvement in that. Um, you know, he's a proud Englishman. Uh, it'd be very hard to turn down your home country to to lead him to uh, to lead him. So I'm sure that would be hard. But from a financial point of view, I think we throw the kitchen sink at him. That's awesome though. Really appreciate you coming on and hopefully you manage to get a, a summer off after a hell of a season. Appreciate that. Yeah, done. Thanks, nice guys. Take it easy. See you later. Thanks, boys. Really appreciate it. Right, so Stuart, an amazing win for Ireland, but New Zealand have lurched into sort of hell and shame mode, aren't they? Lost four of the last five. Yeah. It's only the third three-match series they've lost at home in their entire history. Ian Foster under hell of a lot of pressure, you'd imagine, right? Well, he should be. Um... What we saw in the last three weeks was um, a superbly coached and organised team against uh, a side with some amazing individuals. And the, not surprisingly, the organised team came through. Um, I don't ever recall uh, a New Zealand back row being so comprehensively outplayed. You know, back row is like, it, it's, it's the thought pattern. Rugby and New Zealand have always been rugby's intellectuals, but if you take Ardi Surveyor out, he played against an Irish back row on his own, and I think Sam Kane as captain got absolutely mullered by uh, Joss van der Fleer. And New Zealand sevens never get taken to the cleaners like that. Michael Jones 
and Richie McCall will not be able to believe what they've seen. And, and I think off the back of that, New Zealand have to get themselves a new captain on the field. If they are going to be successful in the World Cup, they've got to get a new manager because they have the players and they have the time. But if they carry on the way they're going and they carry on with Foster and Kane, then New Zealand are going out at the quarterfinal stage in France, no doubt about it. Yeah, just on that note, um, I was trying to write a piece about the All Blacks for the paper this week and I was just contacting a few old All Blacks whether they'd like to talk about it and I won't name him, but one guy said, sorry mate, I've not watched the third test because I was so annoyed about the performance in the second <laughs> test. <laughs> so yeah, they're in, they're in shame mode at the moment, self-flagellation. But yeah, on Sam Kane, the cheeky question maybe. But how many top international sides at the moment do you think he would start for? Um, well, off the top of off the top of my head, he wouldn't get. He wouldn't be in the. He wouldn't be anywhere near either Curry or Underhill. Ludlam's inexperienced, but a very good player. Uh, you wouldn't pick him in front of Tommy Rafael. He's nowhere near Van der Fleer. He's nowhere near Hamish Watson. He's not in the French team. So I've gone through the, the big five in Europe, and he's not in any of them. Not better than Michael Hooper or. Khaleesi and he, he, yeah, Hooper, he's, Peter he's Steph. Sia uh, Khaleesi, Michael Hooper. So New Zealand have a number, have an open side who is their captain, which is a symbol of, of status of the All Blacks. And he ain't getting in any of the leading teams in the world. Full stop. I, do we need to say anything more about the state <laughs> of New Zealand rugby where, where we are? It's a no. beautiful question there. Will beautiful question thanks so much thank you um yeah, well we'll we watch asked it myself <laughs> yeah, we'll watch with interest the dispatches from Aotearoa um and how they're going to wrangle through this one they've got options i suppose with with Joe Schmidt who Bernard was mentioning there who could come in if they need a, a firefighter or Scott Robertson now, super rugby Scott Robertson's the man yeah i mean J- Joe is tarnished a bit by the last year and a half um Scott Robertson is such a natural leader. He, you know, he, he's driven the Crusaders on time after time after time. He's fresh and he's young. You just sense New Zealand need something different. And and he, when you see him break dancing when they win uh, those <laughs> Super Rugby titles, he's exactly that. He's different and he's fresh. And it's what the All Blacks need. Yeah. Well, if they don't give him a job, someone else might. So they better be quick about it if they want to. But. That's our chat for Ireland, New Zealand done. And next, we'll look at England and Wales' results against the Wallabies and the Springboks. Right, so we've covered off Ireland beating New Zealand there. An amazing result for them. And then it was backed up in the morning, slightly less spectacularly, by England, who secured their series win at the SCG, Sydney Cricket Ground, against Australia. 21-17 win. Um, And, Barnsley, I was looking at this on the train up, actually, to... Uh, record this podcast about that last sort of 15 minutes or so and England have struggled as we keep pointing out in the last quarter of games this year but they managed to see that one out and Courtney Laws Luke Cowan Dickie coming to the fore what what did you make of that sort of the, the closing out I suppose let's start at the end and then go back to the beginning I think you have to give immense credit to Courtney Laws I think more than one or two people have said it wasn't about tactics technique it was about sheer willpower and guts and this was a moment when we always talk about leading by example. My God, Courtney Laws gave it. I think there was a giant tackle, one big five, 10-metre stride mm. and a turnover all in the last eight minutes. 
he gave the team what they needed. When you're on the back foot and you're tired and it was the end of a season, you've still got adrenaline taking you there, but your legs are stiffening up. If you've got one bloke who can do what Laws did, you can't stop because you just feel he's doing all of that. He's busting the gut. I can't just say I'm a little bit tired. I was a millimetre out. I missed the tackle. It sets the example. So I'm going to give Courtney Laws gigantic um, credit for what happened in that last 10 minutes. And he has cemented himself as England's World Cup captain bar injury. Yeah, definitely agree. And it was interesting because when we were at the the first game in Perth, I actually thought that Laws was just slightly off the pace. So half a second slow to rucks. There were a couple of... Those ones yeah. that Michael Hooper won a turnover on his own goal line, Atoje was almost there and Laws was slightly slower to the mark. But in the final two matches, he really stepped up. It was almost went digging into the well, didn't he? I, I was looking actually and he's actually had fewer games than a few others because he's been injured, but that was his 25th match of the season. Um, and Billy Vinopola, Nick Ezekwe and Joe Hayes, who are all on at the end, were in their 33rd games of the season. Mako Vinopola on his 25th. And then a couple of others who've been injured were on Luke Cowan-Dickey on his 12th, Johnny Hill and Jack Willis on his 15th. So England really dug in, didn't they? I mean, and they needed to. They needed to. Because before this series, we were talking about if England go there and lose a series or lose 3-0, Eddie's under real pressure. But have we seen enough there that there's at least the character in the team that they can now build upon with tactics over the next sort of... 16 months or so until the next World Cup yeah I you know I said beforehand um, I thought this was a tour where the quality of performance was less important than the quantity of the wins they've lost too many games England you know um, South Africa were able to field a second stroke third team in the second test against Wales because they've got a winning record so they felt it's not the end of the world England had to get back on that winning trend uh, and they did it and it wasn't hugely pretty, but there were uh, significant positives. Um, I I thought the forwards came out of it very well after a a difficult first test. Um, Cowan Dickey uh, was significant in his performance off the bench. You've alluded to the fact um, that he did really well. Uh, Guys like Chesham came through. And I, like you, I thought Courtney was just a little bit slow in the first test at six, which is why I wanted him to go into the second row. And, and I'd like to have seen England playing Underhill plus another open side. But as it turned out, um, Laws had two fabulous games. So the forwards are in a good situation. Uh, Vunipola has re-established himself. Um, of the billing variety, you mean? High cl- High-class test games, um, you know, it's tough on Don Brandt, but Don Brandt now I think is going to be the second man and he's got to be putting pressure on Vodopola. Um, Where there is still an issue is selection at nine and, and the balance of 10, 12, 13, where we seem as far away uh, as ever from knowing what to do. It's not just uh, Smith and Farrell, the balance there. You know, Marchant, who had a very good season overall, had one quiet game and was dropped. Guy Porter came in and didn't get a chance in the first test, uh, didn't look good enough in the second test. So there is a lot of work to be done. But if if you've got to have foundations in a test rugby team, 
They've got to be up front. If England had a great backline and hopeless packs, I'd be saying it's too late. They've got no chance come the World Cup. They've got the makings of a good pack. And with that, you can build something else. Yeah. I was just making a list there as you were talking of the players who weren't playing the last test or didn't go on the tour at all. They've got to kind of reintegrate themselves back in. And it's going to be fascinating how they do that and who does and who doesn't. I've, the list here I've got is Manu Tuolangi, obviously, who has yeah. <laughs> been this um, well, can we just write years. Manu? Can we just write Manu Tuolangi off? I'm, yeah, okay. I'm not being cruel here, but we always We've start with Manu Tuolangi and he gets injured. Let, let's see six months of him playing, and yeah. not just playing, but actually playing well, because he hasn't been for, for all... Um, Alex Sanderson's promises about what he'd get out of him at sale. When he did play, he didn't do that much. Let's just rule him out of the equation and say, what are England going to do to sort out that 12 position or mm. are they going to have to stay Farrell and Smith? Yeah. So then, we, well, Henry Slade's another one who had a shoulder surgery before the tour. Ben Youngs, Joe Launchbury, Johnny May, who was on the trip but caught COVID in the first week and so ended up not playing because I think he had the few side effects that lingered on for a bit. Anthony Watson, who's back fit and going to be at Leicester, where he's going to be in a team going forward rather than backwards. Tom Curry and Maritoji missed the last one. Carl Sinclair had a back injury, missed the whole tour. Joe Marler didn't tour either. Rafi Quirks had a knee injury and didn't go. And then there's George Ford in the background too, who may have gone, possibly, if he hadn't have picked up that injury in the Premiership final. So of those few, Barnsley, who do you think would force their way back in and who do you think have kind of been usurped by these younger lads um, I think Slade's important mm. um, I, I think he's still England's number 113 uh, he's a class act and, and I felt England's kicking game was a bit narrow whereas Ireland were able to use James Lowe to majestic effect. Um, England basically kicked 9, 10, 12, and it was a bit obvious it was either box kicks or long down the middle. So uh, strategically, it wasn't smart. Slade at 13 gives you that other option, and at his best, I think he's he's very high class. So I would think he would be the key one. Um, Wingers... Well, you know, they're wingers. He loves Watson, doesn't he, Eddie? He always picks Watson when he's He does love Watson, but Watson probably... Wingers are not going to be the men who will get you to and win your World Cup finals Mm. by one moment. And and you said he'll be on the front foot at Leicester, but he might just be doing nothing but chasing kicks. (laughs) I mean, they they were pretty... They were they were conservative in their style this year, and anyone who has watched Andre Pollard will be very twitchy because not only is his form dubious at the moment, but his tactical game has, has basically been stripped back to diagonal bombs, which ain't that different to what George Ford was doing at times. But if you were a winger, you could be saying, crikey, I'm going to be in a lot of chasing up and down five-metre channels. Yeah, true. Well, Johnny May's another one who's of his favourites, and he loves him. And I think even if he hasn't played, he's loved having him round the group and... Um, helping through the guys like Henry Arundel who is one of these guys because this tour was sort of pitched beforehand as a way of Eddie trying to find the last sort of eight or ten slots for his 33-man World Cup squad and he's probably found a few hasn't he he's probably found Hayes he's probably found Chesham Arundel's done well in the small time that he managed to get onto the field Porter sort of five six out of ten maybe for his couple of performances 
No, let, let, let's be honest. It's not his fault in the second test, third test. Uh, sorry, the, in the second test, third test, he was all at sea. And, mm. you know, it might be that the Leicester midfield man we're talking about is going to be Dan Kelly Yeah. Um, at some stage uh, at 12. Um, Porter had a, Porter went backwards. He had a chance. And for whatever reasons, they weren't taken. Um I'd like to very briefly, Arundel has to become part of the conversation because he can do things that no one else can, even if it's off the bench. And Tommy Freeman has to be part Mm. of this conversation because he looked extremely comfortable when he got the ball in the second test. He didn't touch it very often. In the third test, he was deeply impressive. And and I'd like to think that, that those two players are going to be pushing at the forefront and Johnny May and Watson have in the same way as Billy Vunapola got to come back and prove themselves and not just come back in. And that's great for England, whichever way it works. If you've got veterans who are playing brilliantly to get back in or young'uns who are playing brilliantly to keep them out, England suddenly have a firepower out wide, which they didn't have in last year's Six Nations. Mm. Or actually, possibly the last World Cup, because the, the yeah. back line didn't quite absolutely click into gear, did it? I mean, it was... That New Zealand semi-final they didn't score lots of tries and it was all based on these sort of waves of forward power which they, they repeated in that opening half an hour of the second test in the Australia series, didn't they? And then obviously yeah, they not, had the comeuppance against South Africa. Sorry, with, with, when they had Ford and Farrell and the, 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 the plan they had, which was to play uh, territorial possession-based rugby, it doesn't matter if you've got David Campisi and Jonah Lomu, your wings aren't <laughs> going to be that influential and and England have got to find a way to get back to that possession and territory, but not forget the backs as they did in the autumn of 2020. And for a long period, when our back line just became a surplus to requirements. And I think what we're doing now, and I think Australia was a sign that England are trying to work their way back into that mindset of, of using the backs constructively. Mm. And when you stop using them effectively, as England have for a couple of years, it's not easy just to say, OK, let's start getting width on the ball. They don't have a balance at 10-12. They haven't found a 13. And, and apart from Stewart, there's no real sense of authority at the back. Um, so there is a lot of work to be done there. Yeah. The one diamond of the tour among the young lads, I suppose, must be Jack Van Portfleet. I mean, he scored that little try when the game was gone in the first test and showed some sniping qualities there, but then controlled the second test incredibly well and then obviously came on for Danny Kerr when he had the shepherd's crook after 35 minutes. Do you think that he's kind of right at the top of the pecking order, even though he's only 21 now? And Leicester's third choice for the yeah. final. Amazing. Um, he had an outstanding tour. Um, it was a mistake by Eddie Jones not to start him in the third test. And, you know, that that's not a clever thing to say. I think Eddie Jones made that patently clear with the decision to bring him off at 35 minutes. Um, but I like him because he's a dangerous runner around the fringes. And, and like, I like Alex Mitchell because he too attacks there. And that's in international rugby is where you want your scrum after to be going. You don't want them. Uh, Danny Kerr, broken field breaks, Harry Randall the same, you know, tap and go. It, it looks great. It's dazzling here and there. 
But it isn't the difference between putting an opposing team on the back foot and creating space for your wide men or not. Uh, Van Portfleet has that break. Um, he sees things quickly. Uh, the speed of his pass uh, for the Stewart try was excellent. His kick game is good and it needs to be good at test match level. He just looked very mature indeed. And it, it may well be, um, whilst I'd love to see Mitchell there, we, we are entering the era of, of, Raf, of, of Rafi Quirk uh, and J, JVP with the Leicester man at the moment uh, holding the aces ahead of the fellow youngster and Ben Youngs. Yeah. And then when we were talking about the pack too, the, the two I mentioned in my, my long list of guys to come back at Sinclair and Marla, you think both of those, if they're able to tour and if they're um, fit, they're nailed on to be in the 33 next year for the World Cup, aren't they? No, I I don't think Joe Marler is. No? Um, in what, more more off the field than on the field? No, I, I, I just think England will want just freshness coming through to a certain extent. Mm. And I don't think Joe Marler had a, a dominant season, you know, um, in, in the Prem semi... It didn't. It didn't happen for him. Um, I just think he's a huge personality, and the personality sometimes um, impinges on our thoughts when we talk about selections. I, I'm not certain. Uh, I, I think he needed to go on this tour, yeah. And I think Eddie Jones um, probably could have done with him there deep down, and and I think that Hayes is coming through. I, the other thing is, I I think. We haven't talked about Leicester, but the Leicester influence mm. is quite significant now. Um, you know, Hayes is, is a Leicester man there. Uh, Chesham's coming through. Um, geez, I mean, Tommy Rafael, what a job he did for Wales. Yeah. Uh, we had Porter playing. We've got Kelly coming through. Um, Stewart is an absolute rocket fullback. I think we're getting back to the stage where the Leicester, the Leicester mentality in how you approach games is right up there and maybe beyond Saracens. And so that, that team I think had 16 of the 23 starters were from Leicester or Leicester Saracens, Harlequins and Northampton. And the core were the big two. Yeah. And I think if you play for Leicester and Saracens right now, coming into the world cup year, Jones is going to look at you and think you've got a winner's edge. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not something you can measure, but it's something Jones thinks about quite a lot. And I think to be a Leicester player, to be a, to be a Saracen is a bonus. And maybe, as, as I say that now, that, that's going to help Anthony Watson just be in there in a team of scrappers. Yeah. Just going through that, the 15 then, the only couple who weren't from Leicester or, well, the top four sides were Jack Knoll from Exeter, Experienced yeah. guy who's won titles and all that. Um, they the, when they listed the team, Ellis Genge was listed as Bristol Bears, but obviously he yeah, I, was I, Leicester's I included captain. him as Leicester yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there was Will Stewart from Bath, who actually I think had a decent series. He carried quite yeah, well, he, and he, he, went, looked, he went well. He went that well. was always the thing, wasn't it? Who could replace the ball carrying of Carl Sinclair? He hasn't had his strongest season, Sinclair. So I thought Stewart actually stepped up quite well. And then Johnny put Hill's pressure, another who was... pressure on Sinclair. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Johnny Hill, again, he was listed as Sail Sharks, the club he's moving to, but he's an Exeter boy too. And then all the others, as you said, were, were top four. And then only on the bench were Jack Willis at Wasps uh, and then the two Irish 
um, apprentices, Joseph and Arundel, who, yeah. who had precious minutes. But so, do you think England then, just to sum them up, are in a better spot now than they were? Firstly, for having won two games, won a series, but also found some character and some players. Yeah, I, I was. It was an important tour to win. You don't have to dwell on the, the, the details of how they got the win, um, and I think a substantial number of players have come through. And I think the obverse side, and it's it's not a nice thing to say, but a few have failed, and that helps Eddie Jones as a selector. You know, it's not because not everybody can succeed. And when a couple fail, they fall off and it make it makes it easier uh, for clarity in selection. So I think overall, in terms of uh, the matches, I'd give them seven out of ten. In terms of the uh, impact on England going into World Cup year, I'd say it was an eight out of ten. So I think Eddie Jones will be in Melbourne now Pretty, pretty pleased with how it went, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, as you said, Eddie Jones and his coaching staff have no no days off. They've gone to Melbourne Storm to see what they're up to in the, the rugby league side, um, and they'll be back um, in a few weeks. But the other series I wanted to touch on with you, Barnsley, before we move on to the end of our chat, um, was Wales-South Africa. Mm. Wales obviously took that last-minute win in the second test against the kind of second team, didn't they? And then were sort of blown away in the third one. I suppose yeah. off the back of losing to Italy and coming fifth in the Six Nations, positivity, but I saw a few stuff, bits and pieces around social media on the weekend of Welsh fans going, yes, fine, but can we not be these plucky losers again who are happy to just sort of lose a series away from home? However, on the other side, they did win one of the t- three games, which was unexpected. I think every one of us put that they would lose 3-0. So yeah, where we, do we, we think they're We didn't know that they were going to field a second yeah, stroke true. third team. You know, ha- had I seen the South African selection for that second test, I'd have thought Wales would have a, a reasonable chance of mm. winning one. I suppose the, the, the ongoing concern with Wales, and I covered them for a few years up to the last World Cup, is that this core of players are obviously quality, and they've added players like Tommy Rafael and someone like Gareth Anscombe has come back and done very well but the, the always the worry is that when they get into a quarterfinal or a semi-final of a World Cup they start running out of bodies and they don't have that absolute top end finishing ability or um, they've always got the character they've always got the desire they're, no, they're never going to go away but do they have that sort of absolute last couple of percent to get over the line in a massive game and have we learned any more about that do you think in this South Africa tour or is it kind of continuing in that same theme that they'll always be there but will they be winners at the end of those massive games uh i would be very worried if i were a welsh fan um first of all you know when south africa played the lions we bemoaned the absolute absence of ambition and quality there was even less in this game because wales went with no ambition we cast them as the plucky losers in a first test, which they were. Uh, but South Africa were terrible, they were mm. terrible. Nina Barr at the moment is taking his team into conservative areas where I didn't believe even Razi Erasmus would take them. <laughs> and Wales played a team. Right, South Africa have a big pack and they've still got their bomb squad. But what we saw in the third test as well 
if you have an 8, 9, 10 who aren't functioning, you can have a giant pack, but you've got to get the right people to put you in the right parts of the field. And um, Faf is a box kicker who wasn't on form. Uh, Jasper Visa, Leicester through and through, yes, uh, but he ain't quite top class at that level. And Pollard is playing poorly and they've got no cover under there. So this was a, a woeful South African team because, you know, Wales were the team who were able to play the game in the right parts almost. There was no ambition, but Hardy kicked supremely. Mm. They were plucky, but you looked at it and you just thought, other than Louis Rees-Zamet, uh, where is that spark coming from? Because Wayne Pivak took over Wales and he promised that they'd play a different brand of rugby to Warren Gatland, who was successful, um, but not very easy on the eye. Now, because Wales came fifth in the Six Nations, Pivak has actually regressed back to the Gatland style of rugby without doing it quite as well. Mm. Um, and so you're saying, how do they get out of that? How, what is their identity? You know, we know that England have an identity, but we're not quite certain how they're going to take them to the next step. I would say right now, what is the Welsh identity? Are they trying to play rugby as Pivak promised? Or are they just trying to uh, limit the damage? I, I don't know. Uh, and I think if Wales go home and say we gave South Africa uh, two good games and we beat them, then they could be uh, in areas of dangerous self-delusion. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. that's the Welsh covered off. Next, we'll cover off the summer series by talking about Scotland. And obviously, we need to make a little time to congratulate Los Condores, the Chileans. Right, so finishing it off, um, Argentina snuck past Scotland, so they levelled it up for the Southern Hemisphere. Emiliano Buffelli with the last try right at the end. Um, heartbreak for Scotland, Stuart. They went 1-0 down and played quite badly in that first game. It's yep. followed a similar theme to England, I suppose, but then they became they came out on the wrong side of the ledger. Are they going to be really annoyed flying back from Buenos Aires? I think, that, I think Townsend and his team will be deeply irritated um, but having said that, I, I thought they made quite large strides up front. I, I thought their scrum gave the Pumas a bit of a pounding. Their line-out improved test match by test match. Uh, Dirge and Hamish Watson, uh, a really competitive combination in the back row. So this is one of those things where Scotland have got to keep their nerve, but there were quite a lot of positives. Um they tried Kinghorn at 10 and inevitably there was some strange decision-making and, and that was the case throughout the team. But overall, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the end of the world for them. Um, no, it's, it's, it's not. And they're bringing back Hogg and Russell, weren't they? I mean, Hogg was in yeah, the studio, exactly, which is know, a bit Hogg funny. Hogg and Russell but... are your two key men. Yeah. And yeah, we will see how they get on when they return to the November series and all that. And I suppose while we're in the Southern Hemisphere and while we're in South America, we've got to mention the Chileans. So they beat the USA 29-31 in the second leg, having won, having lost 21-22 in the first leg. So they won on aggregate. That's remarkable. And a new country at the World Cup. 
they're going to join England's pool with Argentina and Japan, which is going to be amazingly fun and definitely requires a ruck live from Santiago for next season. Alfie, the producer, let's note that down. Come on, let's get the budget Gilly, sorted. Gilly, the Argentina World Cup, yes. Oh, yeah, that'd be amazing. And yeah, what happens to the USA now is that they drop into the final qualification tournament, which finds the 20th team. And at the moment in that are Portugal and Kenya... And there might be Tonga in that as well at some point. Um, so, remarkable scenes from Chile, Stuart. That was awesome, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was wonderful for Chile. I'm I'm so pleased that that a South another South American nation with a passion for the game has made the World Cup. Uh, USA, it's corporate, it's marketing, and I'm sure if they don't get the 20th spot, we'll change the rules of the World Cup and have another playoff and keep <laughs> having a playoff until they beat Upper Axel, where I live, and there's 12 adults, um, <laughs> and get America in. Yeah. Um, I would love to see a 2035 World Cup uh, with Argentina hosting it, Uruguay and Chile, for that passion. A, a brief mention of Argentina as well. The scenes in triumph um, were greater than anything other than the Irish players near full time in Wellington. Mm. Uh, the atmosphere was was wondrous. Uh, Carreras did so well as fly half. And one thing I would say about this series, I have never seen uh, test matches where restarts were so important. Carreras' mm. kickoffs every time pinned Scotland down. And if you watch those games back, I'd go as far as to say the series was won because of the quality of Argentina's kickoffs. Let's not call them restarts anymore. It's yeah. an offensive weapon. I would say to any coach who hasn't watched it, look at that. And I, I think next season we're going to see an explosion of high-hanging kickoffs and wonderful chases mm. because Argentina have redefined the professional art of the kickoff. There you go. And just we must note off Rodrigo Fernandez, who scored an incredible try in the rain in the first game and then was expert in the in the second game as well. And I don't know if there's any European. Uh, uh, teams who want to sign a fly half who don't have one then he'd be an amazing shout that'd be very cool but no congratulations yeah. to Chile and I think to to sign off we better do a god or goddess or a devil of the week I mean the devils are probably wearing horns in New Zealand at the moment but we'll leave them maybe I think I, I'll leave you uh, to go second Barnsley because I think I'm going to nominate Tyg Byrne I thought he was absolutely sensational and, and when he came off he looked a broken man, but he was in, absolutely amazing. And it is incredible, isn't it, that he was one of these players who wasn't sure if he was going to get a professional contract, went around to the Scarlets for a bit, was really good there, hadn't won in really any test caps, and now he's an absolutely sensational player, isn't he? Right, fantastic. Yeah, he, uh, probably the outstanding player of the last three weeks, I would agree with that. Um yeah, where are you going to go for yours then? Your your God of the Week oh, for the I, third I'm week. I'm going to have, if you'll have, I'm going to have uh, sort of Mil Milton Satan, if you like, a God who tumbled from the heights. Because right. um, Peter Omani has got better and better, uh, had a, a wonderful series as a player in the positive sense but also the negative sense. He took his gum shield out in the second test and he wound up Kane and it was beautifully done, but it was not very polite. 
Uh, we then saw him on 78 minutes when we knew the game was up, sobbing, blubbing like a baby. The emotion of it was overwhelming. And then we've seen some footage of him late at the night in Wellington, stumbling around, the worst <laughs> for wear, like a heroic amateur from the old days of rugby. There wouldn't be a coach now. The dietitians would be sending him in on the plane home. Yeah. But Omani was staggering through the streets of Wellington, he is my both God and Devil of the Week. Peter Omani, what a man. Yeah, well, he's had a long enough flight to get back and get over his hangover. And I know that he's on when it, his usual Instagram content is all about his flowers in his garden. So he's got a nice summer to nurse his head, nurse his body, and is nurse his right? flowers as well. Yeah, yeah, he loves is, his is lawn he, is and he all a that. Gardener? Oh, yeah, extraordinary. So there you go. There's, they're the gods of the week. Two Irishmen, which is probably apt, isn't it? And that has been. The ruck for the season. That's it. We're done. We've been going since, what, September or something? And it's been a blast. We've been here every week on Mondays talking about all sorts across the season. And it's been incredible. We'll be back around sort of late August, early September when the season gets going again. For us, we're recording this on Monday. Tuesday, the Premiership fixtures are out for next season. I think Yay. we're going to kick off on the 9th of September on the Friday night. So we'll see what those are. But for now... There's, there is rugby over the summer. There's lots of rugby championship and a lot of bits and pieces, but that is Northern Hemisphere season done and dusted. Well done, Barnsley. We made it. Well done. <laughs> well done, you, Will. I thought you were that. you just up and down week after week. You were the number 12 that England need that you can play off. Brilliant effort. <laughs> My knees have survived as well, unlike some English centres. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Um, subscribe. We'll be back next season. But for now, that has been the wrap from the Times and the Sunday Times. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.